0: Serge Gensburg classic, Je T'aime. and we got that from the singles compilation, Hex-Sex, the, f- the singles part one. And then before that, a rarity there, uh, Skinny Puppy and Genesis P. Origin, members of Psychic TV with something called Puppy Gristle that came out in 2002. And then before that, we heard Psychic TV within the nursery from the album Dreams Less Sweet. And then that was preceded by Psychic TV with Just Drifting for Carice, an ode to his daughter from the their debut album, Force the Hand of Chance, from 1982. And then we heard the Godstar single, Genesis P. Orage's salute to Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones, and that was the 7-inch single version. And then we heard, from again from the album, Force the Hand of Chance, we heard the full pack, an excerpt. Mixed in with Unclean, which came from one of those John Giorno Poetry System albums. You're the guy I want to share my money with. And then we heard from the 1985 instrumental Psychic TV album Themes from 1985, we heard Tibetan Human Thigh Bones. So we've been listening to the music of Psychic TV, Throbbing Gristle, and uh, Genesis P. Orridge for the last two hours. I hope you've enjoyed the show. All of us Different Nature Collective members have been producing our shows out of our homes. So hopefully things will be restored to normal soon. Thank you all for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show and um, stay safe. So next week it'll be another a Different Nature Collective member. So thank you for listening. Talk to you later. Bye. You are listening to KBOO Portland 90.7 FM listener-supported community radio.
1: The Occasion. I'm your host, Jennifer Perrine, and this is Episode 2. The Occasion is a themed poetry show featuring interviews with poets who offer a selection of their greatest hits, read poems written specifically for the occasion of the show, and recommend some of their favorite poems by other authors. So a little of something old, something new, something borrowed, and something true. It's March 2020, and the theme for this month is Luck. Our guest tonight is Kelly Terwilliger, a poet and storyteller from Eugene, Oregon. She's the author of a collection of poems, Riddle, Fish Hook, Thorn, Key, A Chapbook, A Glimpse of Oranges, and two published picture books. Kelly has an uneasy regard for luck, which is by definition chancy and changing. As a small child, Kelly was rolled by a sneaker wave on the Oregon coast where she grew up. Bad luck. Her father looked back and saw and plucked her out of the waves before she washed away. Good luck. Ever since, she's greeted coastal storms with caution and exultation, a stance, perhaps, in which to live open to the either way of luck. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks. So this month's theme is luck, and I was hoping you could start us off with a poem or two of yours that we could hear how that theme's shown up in your poetry in the past
2: yeah i would um i think i'm going to start with a poem called after storm and um well i'll read the poem and then we can talk about luck sounds good yesterday from the top of the hill i saw a rainbow low down in the trees as if it had fallen sky Marvel snuggled there like a tame lion or a phoenix come down to preen with a delicate curve of beak whatever burned before the violet was more and more violet than any i've ever seen i wanted it to be a sign later driving north there were cows on a green field under a sky both luminous and dark there was light on the field and the cows were in it running a dozen or so black Red, white, brown, cream. It seems like there should be special names for colors of cows, but these were strangely pure in that light, and in the slow intensity of their run, such a dreamlike heaviness, their great bulks lumbering toward the darker ridge. Where were they going? Why were they running? All of them, together. The light was on them, maybe they could feel it. Maybe this is what they were, a herd of cows running because there was light and darkness all around them. You could see both at once. You could see the shifting. They were not running from one to the other. They were in it, the changing, the light so wildly brief and there, everything glowing, those cows charging across an incandescence. After I'd passed them, it was hard to think for a while i have been in the middle of something, but I couldn't pick up the piece of it. The world again, opening like a fan. A line of bare trees, the trace of them, like illuminated lungs, reaching their bright lace over the darkness behind them. And I'm sitting bolt upright, one who has seen the quickened bird, or the beloved. The planet tilts and turns, the clouds part and coalesce. There is no argument waiting to be teased apart or defended. The trucks rumble by, the road its own scar. I know that every morning I may still struggle again to remember what kind of story I hoped to enter when I entered this world of ours. But here, here.
1: I'm just, I'm still kind of processing it, but I'm thinking about the observation just of the color and light and dark and how how much the the speaker kind of stays out of the way of the poem until the very end and they kinda come back in and just curious about that that move and and why that happens in that poem.
2: I guess maybe I'll answer that um, in terms of luck yeah, I mean, I have to say that I don't know that I um, I mean, it didn't have the theme in mind when I wrote the poem but it is in some ways a poem about one of my relationships to luck. This, this feeling that luck is chance. It is chance encounter. It is chance, yeah, chance awareness and this Particular experience described. Well, there's more than one there, obviously, but that sense of when you come upon something that is just sort of seems so extraordinary and striking. And there's one here about how I I wanted it to be a sign, and I feel like uh, you know I feel that way a lot about things. Like, oh, I want this to be, I want this to be a sign of something, like good luck. But I don't know that I necessarily believe that, uh, you know, these things, these things are signs, but there's that desire to be in the awake part of the world.
3: Mm. And when,
2: and when I am, I do feel lucky.
1: When you say the, the awake part of the world is just thinking about when you said chance awareness, is it, I don't know, is there something there about a way of being in the world that you can only come upon by chance?
2: It's a combination, I think. There are things that you can only come upon by chance that you can't, you know, you can't seek them out with any guaranteed success. And, but at the same time, there is that notion of being prepared for possibility Mm -hmm. and being prepared to notice things. And I think it's also how we're ready to interpret the world, you know, that idea of I, I want it to be a sign. Well, I, I'd i like to see things in the world and experience them as lucky. Yeah.
1: So as we're talking right now, we're in the midst of a, a sort of strange time in the midst of a pandemic that, you know, despite all of the, the ways that we might... Prepare for the possibilities that come out of that, and try to. I know you're talking about possibilities that are, uh, I think, more hopeful and like creative possibilities or possibilities of thought. But thinking about just at the moment that we're in, I'm just curious if if that sort of stumbling upon luck um, or these moments that can feel like luck. How how you're thinking of that right now in this spot where there's there's so much that's out of our control.
2: I think this is the truth of luck. You know, we talk about luck as if it's good. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Bad luck is bad, but luck is good. I think actually luck is chance, and it's what we can't know and what we can't control. And I think we're all, like, hovering on that edge right now of we don't really know what's going to happen and we can't entirely control what's going to happen. And I sense all around me the desire to seek the best of luck we can, like to try to change Mm -hmm. our luck, to try to move toward the good, you know, people taking various measures to try to keep themselves safe and clean and uninfected and to avoid infecting others. And it is true that there's so much that we can do, but there's always this element beyond control and that's the luck part.
1: Is poetry or is anything else helping you to maybe not just in this circumstance but in other circumstances where where life just throws at us things that we can't know and can't control? Does, how does poetry fit into that for you? Is it, Does it help to, to name the, the things that we can't know or control or is it a Maybe be a comfort against those things or is it something else entirely I think
2: it can help to name the things we can't control
1: and I think also
2: it can help to remind me of the various sides of luck to, because you know if you're on the edge that means that either is possible you know the good and the bad the bad and the good and in some ways that's terrifying <laughs> because, you know, they're both possible. And in other ways, it's wonderful because it means they're both possible. So mm-hmm. sort of like doing that weird
1: balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I like that way of putting it, the idea that at any moment um, things things can tip either way and that's amazing and frightening all at once. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a story, uh, a Chinese folk tale about a man who loses a horse and his friend says to him, oh my gosh, that's terrible luck. I'm so sorry for you. And the guy says, well, maybe it's bad. Maybe it's good. I don't know. And then the next day, his horse comes running back with another horse, a wild horse, a mate. And, mm-hmm. you know, and the... The neighbor says, Oh my gosh, well, that's really good luck. Your horse came back with another horse. And the guy's like, Yeah, I think it seems pretty good, but I don't know. It could be good, it could be bad. And then the next day, his son goes to ride this new horse and falls off the horse and breaks his leg. And anyway, the story goes on hmm. like this. And kind of the idea being that, uh, you know, it's always changing and you don't know in the big
1: picture how anything is,
2: is going to be. <laughs>
1: yeah like anything that enters your life uh, one moment can feel very lucky and very fortunate, and later down the road, maybe not so much, or vice versa
2: <laughs> right right
1: yeah that that feels that feels honest
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah Would you like to read us another poem? Sure
2: This is a poem from my book, Riddle Fish Hork, Thorn Key. And it's called, It's Been a Long Time Since I Talked With a Mountain. My mother dozes off in her chair because it is late and the fire is warm and her new fiancé nods in his sweater and matching brown socks. Light quivers in what still fills a glass on the table beside her. Another moment we might paste in a book to look at later and sigh because we can see on the page what by then has gone. This firelight's sleepy heat, the nearness of these people, residing each in their own unraveling stories, climbing the rafters of sleep into private, flickering worlds. And watching them dream, I realize it's been a long time since I talked with a mountain, heard that high, thin wind filtering over and through flaky rock, and the tiny faces of alpine blooms, the wild hair tassels of seeds, Years ago, we nearly missed the top of a mountain pass. stopped by members of that other party, rushing down in help or hope or helplessness as a man lay dying on the trail above. They motioned us to wait, and we sat, little family, by the side of the line of earth we'd followed. Dust became apparent on our legs. The sun curved its gleaming hand to make white spirits dance from the face of a watch. Onto a tangle of leaves. Here the scent of dry and gathered sweat and silence marked by the footprints of ants, a beetle meandering under a stick, and the dying man just beyond us in the dappling of furs. When they carried him down in the privacy of grief, we looked away. We stood as trees would, alive and still, reaching into light's long, wordless sleeve. And then we went on we had to didn't we up to the crest of wildflowers and streams mountain goats and marmots a brief eden nestled beneath the sky we hardly spoke each of us carried something fragile and unwieldy into which every breath disappears this was our last hike did we feel it then without a name shaking the air so slightly A coolness on the skin that always comes when you stop for a moment after a climb. The sky, higher than mountains, comes down to our feet. It is what we always step through.
1: I'm thinking about two lines from that poem as I was listening to it. The the piece about help or hope or helplessness. Um, And then the line later on. And then we went on. We had to, didn't we? I think there's there's such beautiful imagery throughout the poem, but I think those moments I don't know, they, they maybe speak to that that ambiguity of of what any moment can entail that you were talking about before where it's something that's introduced it could be it could be hope or hope or it could be helplessness. Um, but either way we sort of have to carry on. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about why you, you, how you were thinking about that poem in relationship to luck? Well,
2: I guess at the, at the time of that mountain hike, you know, I guess there was kind of that feeling of compassion for this family who had just lost somebody. And also that sense of, you know, how lucky we are that we're alive. But the poem is written in retrospect. It's written, so it's written after my own father's death, which occurred a year after this sort of Eden trip took place. So so there's, you know, there's that sense of, I guess every moment has the potential to be <laughs> precious, mm-hmm. and and we don't really know how temporary anything is. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think that shows up kind of in, in both of the poems that you've read so far. That yeah, just a sense of uh, even the the observations that you make in the poem about the the world itself, the natural world, I think maybe speak to that ephemeral sense of you know, how lovely and beautiful or how frightening any particular moment can be. And it all does feel like uh, it's both precious and don't know how long any of those particular moments will linger. Right. As I'm thinking about Kind of just luck in a broader sense. I know when we were corresponding before the show, you'd sent me some notes, in, and and in one of those, uh, you'd said that um, luck can become an excuse for for what we do or don't do. And I know that uh, you know maybe that ties in a little bit to to some of the ways that the the speakers and those poems show up. But I was just curious if you could talk more about that. About you said. It can become an excuse for what we do or don't do. For misfortune, we allow to persist. For fortune, we allow to grow isolated. I just wondered, yeah, how how are you thinking about that? Well, I was thinking about how even though luck
2: is chance and luck is about things that we can't control, I think we always kind of, at some level, want it to be alive, want it to be something we can cajole or win over and when when we're lucky, you know, we want to feel as though we've been favored or chosen or we're specially blessed. And the converse of that is that when things are hard, we can feel forgotten or punished or like the world is unjust. I don't think that chance or luck are just or unjust but the human world is and I think sometimes bad luck is not bad luck but it's actually due to institutionalized structures that make things easier for some people and harder for others so that luck could be seen the same way oh you know you're so lucky well actually there are a lot of things that are helping you along that are not helping others along. And if we just look at people and say, oh, well, yeah, they're lucky or they're not lucky and don't really investigate, is it actually luck or Mm -hmm. um, something else, I think it's easy just to sort of ride along, assuming some folks are just luckier than others.
1: Yeah. Yeah and i think the particular words that you chose there thinking about who has luck and who doesn't how how we feel about uh, about when we name ourselves as lucky or not you know i think maybe it's actually that those institutions and structures are who forget us or punish us and those are the things that also favor us or choose us or give us those special blessings instead of chance <laughs> And I think, uh, yeah, it's easy to forget that those those systems are in place and that they're also, it's not just about coincidence, it's also about how they operate and, yeah, give us more more favor or punish us.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess at the same time, you know, if I were to go around and name all of my... So we say, whatever, misfortunes or shortcomings or whatnot is simply bad luck, I could potentially be avoiding responsibility for my own choices, right? hmm
3: So
2: there's, yeah, there's institutional things, there are individual things, and luck can, or the way we use that language can sneak in, I think, to a lot of situations where more obscuring than
3: <laughs> helpful. Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, makes us forget our how those systems work, or or the choice and agency that we do have. Yeah, the choice and agency we have for ourselves, and also for each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For those just joining us, you're listening to the occasion on KBOO Portland. I'm Jennifer Perrine, and we're talking with Kelly Terwilliger. I asked Kelly to write a poem specifically for the occasion of the show, so you all are about to hear a brand new poem. Kelly, would you like to share that with us? Sure. I actually have two um, short poems. so
3: Even better. The
2: first one is very short, and the second one is a little longer. And I have to say, this has been really challenging, I think, in this present Situation, You know, just, mm. I feel like there's so much swirling around. So maybe this is why this first one is so short. Okay. Hello, luck. Here you are again with that guess what smile. I might not have recognized you as you came in today in that hat of leaves and coat of glossy magazines. What have you brought me? And what else do you have up your sleeve?
1: I love that. It sounds... It begins uh, almost actually until that very last line. It just uh, sounds so promising. It's like luck is a beguiling stranger. And then, of course, there's something maybe terrible awaiting that they've actually brought.
0: <laughs>
1: we don't right. know for sure.
2: <laughs> yeah. I think it's that, okay, I'm, I'm going to be try to be ready for whatever.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. So my second poem... Um, I was in the middle of writing it when suddenly I realized, whoa, (laughs) the name of this poem should probably be Corona. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) But it doesn't actually have a virus in it, so here you go. When the shadow of the moon passed in front of the sun, this was not luck. This was the steady orbit of things. But I almost missed it, at the late last minute, I decided to go to the stubble field forty miles away. And there, in the morning it came, slow, slow, we could see it coming, a shadow reflected, a changing shape on the other side of how we shielded our eyes. And then, sudden, a disk of darkness slipped complete with its wild corona of light wreath, crown, a pearly glory, and I couldn't stop looking at this strange beauty, and I felt the earth grow cool and dim, as if we had passed into the underworld, just like that, and we were ghosts, all of us, together, weirdly free in a field of wonder. How the birds were frightened, how the little goats in the field nearby, and the cows cried out, and the dogs howled, how everything tilted. But we could still dance in it yes our limbs were still our limbs and the stubble still stubble underfoot and the air was air and when the light returned as sudden blinding and complete as entering another room another lifetime i felt lucky to have been there there and back
1: there's so much i appreciate about that poem i think I'm I'm assuming this is is talking about the recent eclipse a few years back. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I it it just feels so much like the experience I had of witnessing that and I think especially when you name about the whale the 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 non-human animals are responding in that moment and mm-hmm. I was just so attuned to that the you know hummingbirds were flying up and Settling on my face, just doing these strange things that they would never do, because I think they were so bewildered. And yeah, I, I think the the sense of fortune to be able to witness that, even though it was a maybe terrifying thing for all these creatures, but amazing at the same time. Yeah, I felt
2: so um, so glad that I actually you know, made the little journey (laughs) because I could have easily missed it and it was astounding. But I think I also felt writing the poem like, uh, you know, the sort of this shadow of a kind of weirdness that I'm experiencing right now, you know, where Mm -hmm. everything feels a little, a little, you know, off kilter in these strange ways. It's almost like you know, it's almost like we've entered this zone of otherness maybe yeah. the poem, maybe the poem is comforting because clearly the the eclipse was a passing otherness and and this will be too
1: yeah I mean I think it's important that you was lucky lucky to have been there and back but um, <laughs> yeah. in the same way that the the birds and the the goats and all the other animals got back to their their Daily business, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know that sense that we'll we'll get back there too. And I think I also really appreciated that. Uh, you know, even even when you announced the title at the beginning, I was like, "Oh no, that's." <laughs> but that it replaces that that word corona back into this other setting. You know, naming the wreath and the crown and the um, the sense it has in relationship to to the sun and and these other things that I think now, in this moment of of worrying about illness, that that word's kind of lost its that particular connotation, at least momentarily. And hope, hopefully,
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh, we get that back—the the wonder of it. Yeah,
2: I think I was startled when when the word entered the poem, and I recognized it. Oh, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but i think i was glad too for the reason that you just mentioned that you know things words and also you know things in the world can take on these different valences so easily and it's nice to be reminded that there's
1: there's the beautiful in the corona as well as the horrible yeah you mentioned at the uh, just before you read these poems that these are these are shorter poems for you and I think especially compared to maybe the ones you read at the opening of the show do do you feel shorter um, and i'm'm I'm curious when you think about like how long or how much to to dig into something or how long to proceed with the writing of a poem when do you when do you uh, maybe cut it off or know to tie it up or how did that go with these two poems?
2: Yeah. Um, I don't know. The first poem is extraordinarily short for me
3: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> because I really have been writing much longer poems. And, in fact, I had, I had another poem that, that I did. It went on um, longer than these two. How do I decide how long they go on? I don't know. I like to... I personally like to sort of push the poem, or not necessarily push the poem, but maybe just open the door and let it keep going for a while, <laughs> because often that's where I find my poem luck. <laughs> um, you know, if I let myself go for a while, that's where oh, suddenly, you know, I fall into a one of these chance discoveries, which... I think is probably one of the reasons that I love to write poems is for that kind of poem luck, that kind of having a new understanding, having a new glimpse of something that I get to through language. So, yeah, these, I guess, I'm not sure why they they uh, ended up being so short. I think maybe maybe when I got to, oh the other thing up luck's sleeve i was Mm -hmm. surprised enough and thought okay there we go i think that i think that says one of the things
1: i've been thinking about luck
3: Mm -hmm.
2: yeah
1: yeah maybe those new glimpses are just coming more more quickly right now (laughs) i i'm curious uh i know that you're a storyteller as well as a poet and and I imagine that storytelling as an oral form can take on a different... Maybe luck plays a different role in that than it does in, in writing. But I'm curious mm-hmm. if you still come up upon those same kind of chance discoveries through through storytelling in the way that you do in, in writing poems, or if it feels like a very different process. Yeah, yes and no.
2: It is a very different process, because usually when I'm telling a story i already know the shape of the story
3: mm.
2: um so in a poem i don't always know the shape of the poem and that emerges in the writing of the poem but the story yeah usually i have the i have the shape i kind of know where i'm starting and i know where it's going to end and sometimes i even know uh you know more of the architecture than that especially if it's a folk tale that i've told before but the telling is improvisational, and so, yeah, I do discover things in telling and and it's pretty wonderful, you know, every time, even if I'm telling a story I've told before, every time it's going to be a little different and actually, I've just been I'm in the midst of telling the Odyssey, oh wow to, to um a bunch of 9 and 10 year olds mm-hmm. and and it's it's amazing because i i'm telling it in a number of different classrooms so you know i i tell each chapter a few times and you know every time i'm discovering new things and you know sometimes sometimes characters will start to talk to each other or sometimes an image will just sort of take shape um, and bloom, you know, in, as I'm telling it. And yeah, and then afterwards it's like, oh, that was really cool. That was so, yeah. yeah, really cool like that. Then I'll try to work it into the next telling. But of course, it's never exactly the same. Yeah.
1: Do you think that there's any kind of, in in writing poetry, as is there an aspect of that kind of, you know, reincorporation of, so in storytelling you get to make these great discoveries as you retell maybe the same story in different ways or in, to different audiences. Do you think those, even though there's lots of chance discoveries that occur in poems, do they carry over from one poem to the next in the way that they do with stories, or does it feel like? It's always starting new with poems. Oh, I think they carry
2: over to some degree. I mean, don't you think when we write poems, we revisit certain ideas or obsessions or quandaries or whatever and again and again and try different angles into them, sometimes consciously, but I think often unconsciously too. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, some, sometimes I feel like I'm making the same discovery over and over, <laughs> That's, that somehow I've forgotten it, and then I, I write another poem, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that, I remembered making that discovery once upon a time, and now it's back.
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think, <laughs> well, yeah, our minds don't keep everything in the forefront all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of fun to rediscover
1: things. That <laughs> Rediscovery, yeah. Yeah. Sort of related to thinking about this, um, to, to storytelling and poetry and these, I don't know, this idea of chance and and also play. Um, I think we, we haven't maybe named it that way, but I think play is a part of all of these things that you've been talking about. And you'd mentioned to me uh, briefly in a previous conversation that you're putting together a vending machine intended to promote uh, imagination and play and also to, to raise money for local causes. And I feel like uh, we all need to, to know more about that. <laughs> well, this um,
2: this vending machine idea was inspired both by the Vendaria machines that are in Portland and also the art machines that are like these refurbished cigarette machines that have art in them. But I, I really wanted to make one that had things in it that people could, yeah, that people could play with. And not necessarily games, although some of the things that I'm creating are games. Right now I'm working on a, on a um, sort of people-watching bingo game with all these little pictures of people doing different things in the world, with the idea that you could take this this bingo game and you could notice people, you could mm-hmm. notice the, what's going on in the world around you, and you could see people doing things and play this game. But I, you know, I have I have poems and stories, and I'm making tiny little tiny little flower bouquets and little surprise boxes and things yeah, to let people play and uh, so part of the idea of this vending machine is to I don't know, my, my vision is to help people be together in creative ways and then also of course to raise money for local organizations and promote awareness of them and the work that they're doing building community in a couple of ways at the same time.
1: Yeah. Are Are there any of these that are out in the world that we can already interact with? Um, no, not yet, but hopefully soon.
2: Hmm. Hopefully soon in Eugene.
1: You'd have to come okay. to Eugene. That's okay. I think it would be worth it.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I think the idea, too, of Again, just to in this particular moment of the idea of bringing people together in community around creative acts or even around things like, like people watching, you know, in a moment where we have to separate ourselves from other people or are, are asked to do that. I'm looking forward to having that on the horizon where once we can all be in the same space together again, we can just have one more avenue to appreciate that time we get to have with other people.
2: Oh, me too. And I have to say that, you know, I'm drawing these little pictures for the bingo game, and it feels so strange right now because, you know, I'm drawing pictures of, like, okay, people walking hand in hand or, you know, someone giving someone a high five or a hug or, you know, all of these things that we're not supposed to do right now. Yeah. But... It still makes me happy to draw the pictures and to remember, yep, we'll be doing that again.
1: Yeah, absolutely. For those of you just joining us, you're listening to The Occasion on KBOO Portland. I'm Jennifer Perrine, and we're talking with Kelly Terwilliger. Kelly, you brought some poems by other poets, yes?
2: Yes, I did.
1: I would like to read a poem
2: from a book called Space in Chains by Laura Kositsky. I probably mispronounced it, but forgive me, Laura. This poem is called Near Misses. The trucks that swerved to miss the stroller in which I slept. My mother turning from the laundry basket just in time to see me open a third-story window to call to the cat. In the car, on ice, something spinning and made of history snatched me back from the guardrail and set me down between two gentle trees. And that time I thought to look both ways on the one-way street. And when the doorbell rang and I didn't answer, and just before I slipped one night into a drunken dream, I remembered to blow out the candle burning on the table beside me. It's a miracle, I tell you, this middle-aged woman scanning the cans on the grocery store shelf. Hidden in the works of mysterious clock are her many deaths and yet the whole world is piled up before her on a banquet table again today, the timer broken, the sunset smeared across the horizon in the girlish cursive of the ocean forever for you and still she can offer only her body as proof, the way it moves a little slower every day. And the cells ticking away. A crow pecking at a sweater. The last hour waiting patiently on a tray for her somewhere in the future. The spoon slipping quietly into the beautiful soup.
1: Yeah. There's I think that, that speaks to some of the things you were talking about earlier, just the the I don't know, the serendipity, I guess, that that we, we make it at all. <laughs> You know, the, the, there's that piece in there that it's a miracle that um, the speaker has, has made it through her many deaths and yeah it's, it's a strange way to look at things but I suppose that's true of all of us
2: yeah it's funny actually to think about all the luck that we don't notice <laughs> mm-hmm. right you know there must be lots of times when I just barely stepped across. I mean, there are the times that you notice, like, she's able to name here,
3: mm-hmm. and,
2: you know, the times where, oh, yes, I did not hit the bicyclist,
1: or yeah. the car did not hit me. Yeah. That, that feels like such a perfect, perfect poem to choose to think about luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Were there other ones that you were that you either chose or that you had considered uh, as you were looking for poems that that spoke to you about luck in some way?
2: Yeah, I think I would actually like to read another one. This is from *The Carrying* by Ada Limon, and it's sort of a different take, I think, on luck or on thinking about luck. It's called *The Raincoat*. When the doctor suggested surgery and a brace for all my youngest years, my parents scrambled to take me to massage therapy, deep tissue work, osteopathy, and soon my crooked spine unspooled a bit. I could breathe again and move more in a body unclouded by pain. My mom would tell me to sing songs to her the whole 45-minute drive to Middle Two Rock Road and 45 minutes back from physical therapy. She'd say that even my voice sounded unfettered by my spine afterward. So I sang and sang because I thought she liked it. I never asked her what she gave up to drive me or how her day was before this chore. Today, at her age, I was driving myself home from yet another spine appointment singing along to some maudlin but solid song on the radio. And I saw a mom take her raincoat off and give it to her young daughter when a storm took over the afternoon. My God, I thought, my whole life I've been under her raincoat, thinking it was somehow a marvel that I never got wet.
1: Yeah, I think you're right that that is sort of the flip side of that other poem that. You know, it's a miracle that we we make it through all of those chance occurrences that could have done us in, and also we somebody usually, hopefully, is looking out for us and protecting us and making it less likely that we befall certain certain kinds of things that could have could have made our lives much worse.
2: Yes, and I feel like maybe that's another way. To balance the anxiety of the edge of luck on which we sit all the time but maybe feel especially at this moment is that we can create goodness for one another. We can create helpful moments and we can do it obviously and we can also do it really quietly and maybe it's maybe it's just as lovely if the person receiving the raincoat doesn't realize it for years and years.
1: <laughs> mhm. Are there ways in which uh somebody has has given you a raincoat that you maybe didn't discover until much later or maybe you knew it was there all along. Oh my goodness.
2: I think I've been offered so many raincoats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's actually well, I mean, there's another way to <laughs> make oneself feel better. go through and think about all raincoats you've been offered. oh my gosh <laughs> those those quiet helpings, yeah, and sometimes sometimes from unexpected places too. I mean, not all of us have parents who offer us raincoats, but right. But they can come from other, other places as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I have to say that sometimes even the people to whom I've had the opportunity to offer raincoats—I mean, I feel, I feel nourished by watching them flourish too.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think in in, in that poem. Uh, you know, she writes about not really understanding what, what her mother gave up to drive her. And so I think we think some, sometimes, and probably rightly so, that for someone else to extend a kindness to us is, is giving something up, and maybe it is. And also sometimes that's nourishing for them, too, to be able to, to, to shelter us from something, to, to, to just be able to pass that on to us can be uh, meaningful for them too.
2: Yeah, I think it does go both ways. Yeah.
1: Are there, as we're thinking about this particular moment and, and trying to, as you said, balance the anxiety of, of being on the edge of luck, are there things that you you are looking to or that you would suggest to other folks as ways to create create goodness or to create those helpful moments. Maybe maybe they're practical things or maybe they're, they're some of those more quiet or less obvious things that we can do to provide raincoats for each other. Yeah, well,
2: I mean, I think it's kind of hard to know at this point exactly what we're going to need, but mm-hmm. I'm thinking that staying in touch with each other is probably going to be an important thing. And luckily, you know, we all have phones these days, right? Right. So, you know, calling and chatting with people. And I guess I'm particularly thinking about people who are living alone and feeling like they're cooped up by themselves in their house. You know, it doesn't, we live in a time where it doesn't have to be so alone. You know, we can we can email each other poems or jokes or, I don't know, we can open up our windows and sing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Did you see that video of um, yeah. Italians <laughs> singing to each other? Yes. Um, yeah. I, th- I think maybe just remembering to keep our minds going out and when we're holed up in our houses, you know, not to get too holed up.
1: Mhm. Yeah, I was reading about somebody who um was was disappointed that they couldn't visit their family as they had planned to because of, you know, changes in travel plans and they had had sort of dwelled in that disappointment for a while and then they decided, you know what? I just uh every evening when we would have gotten together and spent time together, I'm going to call call them or do a know video call with them and we'll sit and have drinks together even though we're on other sides of the country and we'll chat and yeah i just it's it's sort of moments like that that i think you know i'm hoping that we can keep those things in mind too that there are there are so many possibilities and it's just sometimes hard to remember what those are when it feels like lots of things are uh, lots of other possibilities that we're usually used to are are closing down or
3: um,
2: right.
1: not open yeah. to us.
2: Right, but who knows? We may discover. Who knows what we're going to discover?
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in terms
2: of in terms of connecting with one another. Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm curious. So, so you read us a couple of poems. Were there other poems that you had thought about reading or uh, other? maybe ways of thinking about luck, other artists that you turn to when you think about luck that you didn't have a chance to read but would want to share a little bit about?
2: Mm. Well, you know, one... One poet I thought of was Gerald Stern because he wrote a whole book called Lucky Life. Mm. And so that sort of popped to mind when I was thinking of Lucky poems, And, you know... So I was looking at at some of his poems and he does have this often this way of going into sort of the, the the dark and the broken and the falling apart landscapes of the world and finding beauty there and finding sustenance there and and I guess I've always found that kind of inspiring You know, sometimes I can have a tendency to go and see some, you know, whatever rubby looking side of the road and, uh, but, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but the the idea, well, you know, just being with it a little bit and finding the, finding the beautiful, Mm -hmm. and by beautiful, well, what do I mean by that? I don't know finding the possibility. I
1: I think that's something that that I see in your poems too that it, there are, there are ways in which you maybe could have lingered on things that had been these moments of of grief and you know in one of the poems that you read earlier or of uncertainty but you I think you managed to move to these spaces of well of, of acknowledging those things, but also saying, and also here's here's something else too
2: mm. yeah, I guess I hope that I can hold both you know coming back to that idea of the edge i I hope that I can occupy that and not avoid the underworld, mhm, <laughs> um,
1: yeah. I I think your poems are actually striking in that they, I think in many of yours, I see that they look at the, I don't know, if it's the underworld or something that's just, that that could be very frightening or overwhelming. Uh, And usually it takes a turn towards hope or possibility, which I I find in myself it can be a very hard thing to do in writing, but I, I enjoy that moment when it happens and it doesn't always arrive. Mhm. Uh, so I just uh, appreciate that in in the poems that you shared. I'm glad. I I did want to ask a little bit more about maybe from the storytelling side of your life. I know you shared earlier the that Chinese folk tale or a piece of it, at any rate. Uh, but I'm wondering if there are any other stories about about luck that you'd want to share with us. Oh my gosh. And I imagine you can't tell a story in its entirety well in a, in a short period of time. But if there's one that that maybe even giving us a glimpse of would be would be interesting.
2: Yeah. Well, I think there are lots and lots of stories that folk tales, in particular, that present present lucky opportunities, and so many times it's. You know, the question of whether or not the character, the traveler, whoever, recognizes this opportunity and responds to it. And there's a story that I was sharing earlier this year about, about a soldier who was sent home from, from the army without any pay. He was told that he should just be happy that he got to serve his country. And he was very angry as he traveled home. All he was given was two loaves of bread, and that was it. He had no money, nothing. And, um, and his anger grew and grew as he was walking down the road. And then he came upon this pile of, What looked like trash by the side of the road, crumpled old rags and things. And he was so angry when he saw it because it was just another sign of everything falling apart. And he went over to kick it off the side of the road. And suddenly the pile of rags moved and the head lifted. And he realized it was a man sitting there. And the man looked at him and saw those loaves of bread. And his eyes widened, and he said, Oh my goodness, where did you get that bread? I haven't seen bread in years. You're so fortunate to have bread. Oh, I wonder if it tastes as delicious as it did back when I had bread. And the man went on like this, and the soldier said, Well, you know, if you want a loaf of bread, I'll give you a loaf of bread. (laughs) And so he gave him one of the loaves of bread, and... And the man returns by giving the soldier a gift, which seems like some grubby, worthless gift. But as the story goes on, you realize that actually it is something of um, significant value. But, and there are other encounters that happen in that story. But I feel like, you know, these moments where there's an opportunity for an exchange with another human being so often in folk tales are the are the locus of what you might call luck i mean yeah. the luck is the, the luck is the encounter and then what do you do with it you can mm-hmm. take it or you can leave it and of course there are also folk tales where you have two characters that go along the same road and one person would come upon the old man and you know blow him off Mm -hmm. and the other person engages. And it's always the one who engages who gets the luck.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good thing for for us to to just sit with, you know, as we move through whatever is going to happen over these next few weeks or months, just thinking about recognizing the opportunity, you know, and how we do interact with other folks that's not... uh, not missing out on that opportunity for exchange, even even if we're isolated in certain ways. <laughs> yeah. Well, Kelly, it's been a pleasure talking with you, and I appreciate all of the, the different perspectives on luck that you shared. And thank you for being a guest, and thanks to all of you listening. So good night.
0: Estás
3: escuchando Cabe o Portland.
0: deserve to be fully informed on the policies and decisions that will impact their lives, and we need your help to make that happen. We're looking for citizen journalists to help collect, report, and broadcast the news.
3: Do you think that